Jag vet inte hur många sällskaper jag har mött som sliter med att få in professionella investorer till trots för att produkten egentligen är ganska bra och sällskapet visar växt och goda tal. Vi ser en ting de proffsiga investorerna på utsikter i tillägg att du bygger ett bra sällskap självklart är hur du hanterar dina aktionärer eller ditt så kallade cap table som det heter på startupsk. Ett ödelagt cap table sätter rätt och slett en stopper för sällskapsutveckling. Unlisted.ai gör det möjligt för sällskaper att hantera aktie- och optionsprogrammer, aktieägarboken, cap table och det mesta av rättigheter in mot aktierna i sällskapet på ett sted. Pröv Unlisted.ai sin gratisversion idag. Hi and welcome to Shifters Podcast. Uh, today's guest is uh, corporate innovation expert Dan Toma. Um, he's the co-author of uh, the corporate startup. But most importantly, he will be speaking at the Shift conference uh, November 14th. And uh, welcome, Dan. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, we've actually met once before, or twice before, actually. But uh, the first time you were actually speaking in Norway. and yeah, I think it was 2014 or 2015 or... I think 16. You, I think. 16? 16? Yeah, yeah you, guys, you guys just started. By the way, congratulations. You grew so much from, from that time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I remember we did an article on you and um, uh, you said that the most important metric should be for uh, to, if, to for companies to see if they're actually innovating is uh, going after, uh, what do you call it, revenue on some on, on a news business unit yeah, that yeah. you haven't like had in three years or something like that. Yeah, yeah, basically, basically measuring measuring how much of your current revenue comes from ideas that you launched in the past, you know, two years, three years, or five years, depending on your on your appetite for growth. And uh, that was uh, that, that I I still stand by those words three years two years later, right? Yeah. And um, I still believe it's a good it's a good metric for for companies to go by to assess if they are actually moving the needle in terms in terms of growth. But I actually disagree with you a little bit on that. Okay, uh, because it's, it's not it's, it's a good metric, but it doesn't it doesn't um, differentiate whether it's uh, like incremental innovation or substantial or disruptive innovation, right? It's it's a it's a very good point, and it's not, and it's not just that. But uh, if if you were to institutionalize that particular metric in your organization. Uh, you're going to end up with with your costs going up because you're going to have more distribution costs, more marketing costs, more development costs. So it's it's like it's like a two 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 edged knife, right? Um, on one side, yes, it's a good metric to go by. On the other hand, it depends very much on how you frame it. Exactly, I- exactly what you just put it. Yeah, but still, it's better than um, most metrics uh, <laughs> that uh, businesses are using today. Uh, and um, but let's get uh, get into it. Um, we're going to talk about corporate innovation. And uh, uh, first of all, what is what? How do you like? How do you define corporate innovation? It's a very good question. I think I've uh, I've actually spent a lot of time defining it. In general, I define innovation, and I define innovation as as uh, a, a newelty, a new thing wrapped up in a in a sustainable business model in a business model that can actually exist by itself and and survive pretty much like the startups right they have a great idea and then they create a, a sustainable business model and they they just go with it so does the business model have to be new is that uh, no not necessarily the business model it needs to be new so you have to have something new in terms of a new value proposition or a way uh, or a new way in which you deliver it um again what's very important is the sustainability part 
Is it is it innovation if you're doing something that someone else is doing? Uh, it can be. It uh, it can very well be. Depends again uh, what is the, the the market in which in which you're putting. If that particular market hasn't seen much of that, uh, definitely is innovation for that particular market. If you are just a copycat in the same exact market, probably you're not you're not very innovative. Okay, but uh, yeah, I say, but it it because innovation is it about is it uh, who is the uh, recipient of innovation? Is it like the society or is it the business? Because for the business, it might be innovation, right, to do right. it. No, but is it like for from the society level? Oh no, this is not innovation. We already have this solution. So, yeah, I was so where, I was thinking I was thinking more in terms of like the society and the recipients of of that product. Because for for a lot of companies which are like traditional, right. Um, they might just claim that everything is innovation because they haven't done much. Like take, take for example, oil and gas companies. Now they're faced with, uh, with change, right? They're faced with uh, renewables. They're faced with other, other things that they haven't done before. But as a society and other companies, they've been doing it for, for quite some time now. Yeah. So it's basically the question is new to company or, or, or new to your market segment or new to, to society. Yeah. And I would call it basically new to society. So if you copy an idea from another market, then you're you're an innovative. <laughs> it's 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 all about framing, I guess, right? Yeah. So you can always talk about like Rocket Internet. Is Rocket Internet a, a, a an innovative company, right? Um, on one hand, you can say yes for the people in 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 Philippines, for 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 people in Malaysia, they might be an innovative company. For the people in San Francisco, they are just a copycat. Yeah, but they actually their inno- their innovation is the copycat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, I, is being the best copycat, right? I, I don't think I don't think nobody actually spent the time to define copycat innovation. No, no. Uh, we can actually patent that term, yeah. me and you. And yeah, because I'm, I'm, uh, um, a lot of problems with innovation is that you don't have uh, uh, you know problem solution fit or or, or product market fit, right? Uh, but uh, if you if, uh, let's say you see see it in another market, it's much easier to implement. Like. Do it because it's been actually validated in some sort of way in a different market. In a different market, yeah. yeah but indeed. still, you have your market is not necessarily the same one, right? So yeah, yeah. It's it's a very it's a very hairy question, and uh, it's very difficult to say what what innovation actually is. And again, I think it's all a matter of your frame of reference. All right. So if your frame of reference is quite wide, is worldwide, it's very hard to be totally innovative. But because you know we're talking about the population of seven billion. Most of the things have been invented, uh, but then, then again, if you're talking, if you're changing your frame of reference, and now you're talking about a certain village, you might just be very innovative just introducing internet. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just not to lose that, uh, because I, I think this is really interesting. Um, uh, this with um, uh, like startups and uh, corporates are, you know, are are startups innovative, or uh, or or can't they be innovative because because they're inherently they have like they're they're based on building something new so they're not they're not innovating from something old right yeah so can they be innovative um sure i think um again i think i think startups are probably more innovative than uh, than large organizations because unlike large organizations they don't have a a core business which has like a massive gravitational pool pulling in like resources and time and and you know like people um, on the other hand, it's very paradoxical that uh, these this large organizations, on one hand, they have a lot of resources, but they find it very hard to create something new. And uh, the, the paradox comes with the fact that startups, they don't dispose of those resources, but then they are very good at creating new stuff. So, I... Yeah, but isn't the, the art of innovation, isn't that going from something to something new? 
And but uh, the startups is going from nothing, so it's much easier to go to. It's, yeah, they they are not they are not constrained in any way, right? So exactly. for for them, it's pretty much very very easy to pivot, very very easy to change. If you uncover the fact that, well, actually, this market is doesn't want this particular product, I will just jump into a new market or a new industry altogether. Uh, whether a bank or or an airline company, it's very difficult for them to say, well, we realize that nobody wants airlines anymore, and we're going to do. Facebook for dogs and <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the pivot yeah you don't see you don't see a lot of pivots in big corps right uh, yeah there's a lot of reasons behind that and um, of course it's very difficult when uh, when you have that that gravitational pull of of the core but also it's very difficult because um, there are other systems in place that prevent pivoting for example budgeting right uh, budgeting is probably one of the most archaic systems that organizations have basically when I give you that amount of money to deliver that particular axe. I actually expect an X at the end of the six months or 12 months runway I gave you. Um, regardless of the evidence that you uncovered along the way, proving the fact that nobody wants an X and they want a Y. Yeah. So again, uh, the, the way, the way standard budgeting works at the moment, um, you know, being tied to, to budgeting cycles again, uh, the, bu- the budgeting that organizations have at the moment is very well in line with core business and incremental innovation. But once you want to do something from, from zero, once you want to do something from scratch and outside your core, then uh, then the system that actually helped you become better in your core is actually hindering you from from achieving anything outside of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, there are two actually two, di- two, two totally different uh, modes of operating, right? So exactly, one is exploration, like you put it, and yeah. uh, the other one is more of execution, right? More execution. I I, I basically say that most of the organizations uh, nowadays. Are not nowadays, but this, they, they've been they've been very good at innovation for almost a hundred years. If 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 you work for a company that's that's a hundred plus years old, that company's been very good at innovation. Yes, the type of innovation that they've been good at is is incremental, and I think I think one of the one of the things that um, um, that that people need to need to wrap their hands around uh, heads around is the fact that innovation should not be used as a as a one size fits all word, right? Whenever you ask people, what do you do? I do innovation. Well, try to define what that type of innovation is. Is it incremental, breakthrough, or, or disruptive? Because just by saying people are not good at innovation, you're you're not doing a favor to anybody. As I said, large organizations are good. It's just that the thing that they are good at is incremental, and the problem for them is that the world is the the, the world is changing at an at an exponential rate, at an exponential step, and their only solution is linear. You're trying to you're trying to solve an exponential problem with linear solution. Obviously, you are going to lose. Yeah. Uh, why can't we just call incremental innovation for improvement? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is there is I mean, multiple multiple words for that. It's it's incremental. It's core. It's uh, um, as you said, improvement. That's that's what it is, right? It's just it, an improvement. It, it is because it's something that you actually. It's just a, a tweak on the pro- on the product you already have. Yeah, and there's actually it's a good point. Uh, a lot of organizations uh, miss the fact that uh, this is actually the fact. Miss the fact that that their innovation is just is just incremental, and sometimes they they go down the road of of explaining their digital transformation efforts as innovation transformation. And actually, digital transformation is not an innovation transformation. It's basically a um, it's basically a way in which you prevent your business models to expire in the near future and you're ensuring that they will expire in the medium to long future yeah. but you're actually not preventing those business models from expiring in any way or, or or you're not creating new business models to um 
you know, take take the load of the of the old ones. Yeah, I'm I'm just imagining now uh, in my head uh, <laughs> a boat uh, going towards uh, a waterfall, and you're and you're improving the boat. So the boat becomes a little bit better, but it's still going to go down the waterfall, right? Um, <laughs> so what you yeah. actually should do <laughs> is making a, a parachute or a plane. Uh, I don't know if that's a good image, but uh, yeah, you're you're constantly improving and it becomes better. It it keeps you afloat, but you don't see the, the yeah, big yeah, uh, waterfall. You're basically plugging the holes, but the the uh, the waterfall, as you just said, is just it's just ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that waterfall actually is a good metaphor because of the waterfall met- method. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never thought of it. But no, I didn't. Right. I didn't. I just thought of it right now, and it possibly bad. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so uh, let's. Uh, we have the innovation definition out of the way. Uh, what are the essential steps for uh, to be able to actually innovate, not inc- not improve, but to innovate substantially in a, in a big organization? Yeah, I think I think it's a very it's a very uh, big question, right? Yes. And um, obviously, could you break it down. Like, what are the four steps? Maybe the, depending on who you're talking to, they're going to give you, give you different different answers. I'm just going to give you mine. Um, again, I don't believe in any way that these are the ones, but these are just my personal take on that. Um, I, I think it's very important for, for, um, the organizations to, to be aligned, uh, top down. So, so people at the top of the, of the organization, depending, uh, how, how big the organization is, uh, they all need to be aligned on the, on, on the need for innovation and the goals. Um, after everybody's aligned and they, they have an ethos for, for, for innovation, right? They go, yeah, we want to do this. I think it's very important to tie innovation to their core, core business goals. Because I've seen a lot of organizations that innovation is just happening as an island in the sun, if you want, right? It's just out there, done by others. We're not going to, to touch it. And we still have our own core business, our cash culture to milk. So I think that's that's a big mistake, and I think I think that that innovation should be there to to uh, reinforce and to support uh, core business goals, right? And uh, should be there to to support your your company's vision and your company's growth ambition. So, what is a core business goal of, for example, uh, Hewlett Packard, like the computer maker? It's it's a, it's a very good question. I personally haven't analyzed the um, the annual the annual report of Hewlett Packard, but I'm sure that like with every every major organization, they have really clear growth goals and really clear ambitions. And innovation should be just there to support those on top of the on top of the core business. So the core business can can pull its way to a point, and then you have innovation taking over from that point onwards. Yes, but I'm trying to apply this on, let's say, Apple. Yeah, would would uh, like the things they did, like you're making a music player, that probably wouldn't be considered core business uh, at the time. Sure. Uh, would it? Uh, so, uh, so, but it's still a very innovative move. Yeah, yeah. To, to do so. Um, yeah, I think I think the the uh, the iPod launch, right? If you, if you go back 10, 10 years, uh, you're going to see that the twenty years actually, no, no, eighteen years, eighteen years. Yeah, almost. Oh my god, we're so old, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the iPhone is is ten years old. That's or, correct. Or, yeah, or eleven years. Yeah, eleven years. Yeah, yeah, because they launched the X last year. Um, yeah. So um, in terms in terms of launching launching the the iPod and even the iPhone, right? Um, I think what they were supporting, they were supporting growth. So they were supporting their growth targets with that new move. And of course, their, their core business was supporting growth to some extent. 
And then following following that that particular boundary, they needed to, to move into new markets with new ideas in order to sustain that growth. The problem that most organizations have is that that growth is viewed as as a percentage, right? So the bigger you are, the 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 more difficult it's going to be for you to achieve your growth goals because it's one thing to have one percent of of a company like Apple, and it's another one it's another thing to have a one percent growth of a company like you know Shift, our shifter company. or shifter, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like your company. Yeah, your company can achieve the one percent goal. Apple is going to be quite difficult to achieve their one percent year on year goal. Yeah. So that's uh, that's actually an, an issue with uh, with growth that is viewed in percentage. And then if you go and talk about banking now, if you talk about financial industries, if you go and talk about other regulated markets, uh, you're going to find the problem is even even higher and even even bigger, right? More more difficult to solve because um, a lot of these organizations are 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 forced by law to have a certain number of assets on their books. Right. And then growth is viewed as a as as growth percentage of the assets that you have on your books. So the more assets you have, the more difficult it's going to be for you to achieve those goals. But yeah. they're regulated. But like back to the core product thing. So yeah. is do you think it's it's growth a core? Uh, a core <laughs> like is that core Gro- growth? Is that is that how you view? I I, I think that the, the growth is is a, is an overarching theme for the entire organization. Yeah. Right. And and growth is actually not. Uh, I mean. It, it, at least in my opinion, growth should not be viewed as, as an end goal, but it should be, be viewed as a byproduct of doing something that customers want and customers need. Right? So, so emphasize what the customers want, not your growth targets. Your growth targets is going to be just a byproduct of you creating a good product or something. Yeah, a good I, I agree. And uh, the same with innovation. It's not, it's not the goal in itself, right? It's, uh, it's, it should support something, right? Exactly. Uh, like it's, uh, bring you more money in some sort of way in, in down the line, right? Yeah. Uh, but you said that in, in order, like you, you believe that you should, like the innovation effort should support the, the, the core business. Yeah, they should be, they should be, they should be aligned because, uh, the core is definitely utilizing a lot of, uh, a lot of assets and, uh, the core actually has a good, a good competitive, uh, competitive market competitive position. And I think innovation should be there to either reinforce that or use that for for growth. Use that as as a springboard for whatever it is they they want to achieve. So not just viewed as like this is innovation and the other thing is is core, but more like how can these things play together? Yeah, but back to sorry, I'm back to Apple. Sure, sure. Apple, back to Apple. Uh, so, but do you consider the iPod? Uh, an innovation on the core of Apple at that time. Uh, no, Which, no. When uh, when uh, when they launched it, it was definitely a um, if 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 you want an adjacency. But I think it was actually a transformational move from 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 Apple. Yeah. Uh, but as, as time progressed, that kind of like and the the matured that, that kind of like became their their core business, right? And now they need to create. It's basically like a cycle, right? So everything that you put now into into transformational efforts over time, they're going to become your core, and um, your your original core will probably die die off. Okay, so you're not like uh, super religious about it, having to innovate on the core. No, in general, in general, I'm not very very dogmatic about that. As I said, probably it was misinterpreted in in one way where I was not able to express it properly. But the idea is to utilize core. And and align 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 your 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 strategy with uh, your innovation strategy with the overall growth strategy, yeah. Or at least not not the overall growth strategy, but with the overall growth 
goals. Yeah. So you put a lot of emphasis on uh, the formal structure, uh, top down. Uh, I, I say it's it's very important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And um, uh, but uh, uh, but you also have the informal structure in the company, right? Sure. Like culture, which yeah. will actually fight against this in many mm. many times. Uh, how do you how do you manage to overcome the the cultural barrier? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question, and uh, of course, there's uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of experts out there on culture. I don't consider myself to be an, an expert on culture, uh, but from from my personal observation and from my personal experience, I realized that actually, um, um, a, a culture is developed over time. And is developed through the use of processes. So the more the more a process is uh, is utilized, the more the process is is enforced and policed, the more that process is going to become a culture. So at one point you will no longer need that process; it's just going to be the culture of uh, of of that particular organization. Um, you know, there's the saying that that uh, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I, I heard a very anecdotal uh, rephrase of that, and uh, the question was, "Why doesn't culture and strategy have breakfast together?" Yeah, and uh, yeah. I think that's actually the goal to to have a culture that is supporting your strategy and vice versa. Yeah, but the culture is, like you said, it's uh, um, it's uh, it's based. Let's say the culture is based on the processes, and it's and, sure. and it just becomes the the. Uh, way of doing things yeah, in I, the company, right? Culture culture follows uh, process. That's yeah. that's my personal yeah. stand on it. But is your opinion then if you change the process, you will change the culture? Yes, I okay. believe that that for changing culture, uh, you need to also not not you need to also you need to start by changing your processes first, and then do all the other things that need need to happen in order to change culture. Again, I'm not an, a culture expert. I don't know what are those things. No. But start with process, and uh, and not just start with process, but once you agree on a process, then enforce it and make sure that the process is playing out in in the way in which you actually envisioned it. That's very interesting. I think you have a very interesting view because you're very formalistic on your... Uh, you believe in the... Um, you believe in the power of the process and structure and uh, organization. Uh, I think that's very fascinating, actually. I uh, I come from an engineering background, so yes. yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm hardwired like that. Yeah. Okay. And um, yes, I have a, I have a different view than you. Uh, oh, that's but I, great. I, but I'm, I'm I have a uh, I have a political scientist background. I've studied like organizations uh, and um, and. and and uh, yeah, and I've witnessed uh, through the research how how important culture is. Like it, it it can either like be something that helps the tr- the formal structure, or it, it could be actually something that uh, that uh, weakens the form, like destroys the formal structure. I totally agree with you. Mm. Like that's that's something that's just not debatable. I think culture is a very important aspect of any organization, big or small. And again, I think I think. Culture is sometimes misunderstood, and I believe that culture doesn't necessarily mean the people that you want to have a beer with, but uh, or, or the people you want to hang out with, but more like the people that you share the same values and the, the same the same expectations, right? Yeah. With I think that's that's actually a definition of culture. But in order to get there, obviously you can start recruiting people that fit, but you can't recruit you, you can't fire your entire organization and no. rehire everybody. No. Um, so what do you do with those people? Like yeah. obviously you need to. Start 
you know, like shifting them towards towards what you want the company to be. And I believe that the only way to do it is 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 for, is for process change because you no know, weekends weekends at the seaside. Well, they're good, but they're not going to change our culture that much. No, no, I agree. And uh, you 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 mentioned it that. Um, it should be on the core, not on the side. And a lot of lot of companies are actually outsourcing or putting it the innovation outside the business. That's one of the biggest mistakes that that, that the yeah, company. Why can, why is that a big big mistake? Uh, because it's 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 just setting up the it's setting up the premise for the wrong for the wrong narratives to evolve. And some of the wrong narratives I've I've seen and they're then they're wrong attitudes were the not invented here syndrome. Because at one point those things that were created what, what, on the side. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So, so the things that were created outside the outside the the, the mothership, right? The things that were created outside the mothership. At one point they need to fi- find a home in the mothership, and if those people that created them they they don't they don't work with the people in the mothership, then uh, the people in the mothership will have absolutely no interest in adopting those ideas, no matter how good they are, because they're going to say, "Well, not invented here. Yeah. I was not involved in this. I could have done it better." Another another wrong wrong behavior that 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 that's triggering is um, that's that's the culture, right? That's that's that meeting the culture. But can you just change that with the processes yeah, inside if, the mother company? If 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 your process would say we're going to build it together with with the people in the core, or the people in innovation have a a floor at the same at the same building as the people in the in the, in the core business. Then probably it would be easier for them to relate to one another, right? Oh, I know, I know John working in innovation, or I know Mary working in core because it just happened that we both had coffee this morning, or waiting in line at the same in the same coffee shop, at the, you know, in front of the building. Yeah. Um, another another narrative that's that's fairly fairly wrong and triggered by the idea of having innovation outside is um, it's not not innovation is not my job. Right, so the people in people in core would be like, "Oh, it's not my job to innovate." And actually, innovation is everybody's job. And no matter no matter if you work in audit, in compliance, or in product development, innovation is definitely your job. We're talking about forms of innovation and types of innovation, right? We we just started this conversation with incremental improvement, and then disruptive and breakthrough innovation. Innovation is everybody's job. Some people might just do more incremental and less disruptive. Some people will do more disruptive and less less incremental. And another another thing that uh, that's very very dangerous when you have a um, a an innovation function outside outside of your of your you know like mothership organization is uh, the us versus them narrative, right? If if people cannot connect to one another, uh, they're going to start they're going to start referring to the other people as them and us. Right, and we are always better than them. No matter, no matter which perspective you're going to have on on things, no matter which which side you're going to take in this conversation, is going to be always us versus them. And uh, there were a lot of companies that uh, that failed with it. And I think probably the most uh, the most uh, uh, notable one was uh, was Yahoo with uh, with their brick house in in San Francisco. They uh, they were basically the pioneers of the idea of oh, we need to have a, a corporate innovation function, and uh, they 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 set up the the brick house. Uh, it, it was called a brick house because that was actually in a brick house in uh, in downtown San Francisco, and then the the offices of Yahoo were were outside. And uh, despite despite all the efforts and despite all the successes actually that the brick house um, had in terms of product development, in terms of success, market success, and whatnot, they were still discontinued for the cultural reason. 
people didn't agree in the core. So people at the Yahoo office did not agree with the with the need of Brickhouse and, and whatnot. And then people in the Brickhouse were viewing the other ones as either lazy or they view them as, uh, you know, like uh, defenders of the status quo. Again, totally, totally wrong narrative, totally wrong conversation. And so do you believe, because Harry proves emphasis on the culture perspective, actually. Yeah. So do you believe that uh, it, the, the culture will be stronger to, it's harder to penetrate when it's uh, perceiving something from outside coming in than uh, rather than uh, uh, changing uh, from within the company itself? I, I believe so. I believe that the, the innovation department, right, or your innovation functions should stay where, where your core, core is for people to be able to, to, to relate to the products that those people are launching and for the people in the innovation department to relate to where does the money come from? Because obviously in every, every, in every, in every large organization, the innovation department is a cost center, yeah. right? Those money come from somebody or from somewhere. Well, you need to be able to understand where the money comes from. Yeah. Oh, it's the folks at, at, at level five, right? The, the people that are sitting the, the floor beneath us that they are providing with all the money that we have for like 3D printing and all the other experiments that we've done. And the people at level five should be like, oh yeah, I understand where my money is going. It's going to do to the folks upstairs. And by the way, let's just, let's just go and see what they're working on. Right, so you're you're bridging that gap, and again, this is by design. This is by process. This is not this is not random. No, yeah, I agree. Yes. So, um, um, uh, so what are the most difficult thing with like implementing an innovation strategy in the in the company and and, ac- and actually executing on it? Yeah, that one is a big question. But like, what do you see as like typical? Typical issues. That's that's uh, again. It's very it's a very big question. I think I think that um, of course in this answer we're going to oversimplify and generalize stuff. But I think every every single every single company has their own way of struggling with this. If you want, right? Um, we we touched upon upon budgeting at one point, right? We said that that uh, yeah, budgeting needs to change because uh, budgeting the way the way it's it's done currently. Is definitely not 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 allowing for a lot of pivots, a lot of change, which is something that innovation requires, right? Um, another one is, um, as as I said, alignment with uh, with the growth goals of of the company. Most of the time, is just uh, innovation is just viewed as a, as a distraction if there's no if there's no alignment. Uh, then, of course, a big one and one of my favorite uh, is uh, how do you measure innovation? Right? We're very good at measuring. Our core business, and we know how to how to manage by numbers. Well, show me the numbers for for innovation, and then it's going to be easier for me to to you know back those initiatives. Uh, there's there's so many things that, uh, that again, every single organization has their own way of struggling with uh, with this. Uh, we in in the corporate startup, we divide we divide activities basically on on strategy, practice, and management, and uh, depending on where organization is in terms of maturity. On the journey from we don't do any innovation to we're very good, um, your your bottlenecks can be in in different parts. Some people will struggle with the fact that they they have no trained folks to work on innovation, where some people will say, well, we have a lot of trained folks working on innovation, but our middle management is is fairly poor in terms of in terms of understanding innovation. So maybe yeah. that's your bottleneck. Yeah. Um, so uh, one key aspect, as I see it, as you you have to have. Uh, uh, you have to be ready for innovation in a company before you start to innovate, right? Yeah, um, and lots of companies are like they're they're actually the same companies, but then, and then they say, okay, we try and innovate, but things will go wrong because you because you don't you don't have uh, 
best practice. You don't you don't actually know what you're doing. You don't you don't have the like the thesis you're talking about, and uh, and you know and what if what if someone had had a good idea in the company, and uh, who what is the process for making that good idea into a business? Uh, a lot of companies don't have that. It's exactly. like, okay, if you have good, okay, talk to your manager and he will talk to, like, you know, it's a very, uh, an informal route. It's not a, it's not a that's, formal process, that, right? That's actually the problem. The problem is that it's, it's most of the time is, uh, it's, it's totally informal and it's totally driven by, by luck, if you want, to some extent. And, uh, the narrative I always give to, 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 especially executives teams that I'm working with, I always say that imagine your, your, your company as a system, right? The average, output your the output that you're seeing in your company is the average output of the best players and the worst players in your company that's your average by institutionalizing innovation by having a clear framework a clear step-by-step approach to what you do a clear governance if you want right a clear governance system for innovation you are not you are not going to increase the output or the performance of your best players because those are already peak performing right what you're going to do, you're going to increase the performance of your worst players, right? Or the people that don't have those personal traits in order to make stuff stuff happen. And they they expect there's a system for them to, to work with or work in. And by increasing the value of your worst players, you're actually increasing the overall average of your of your output. So it's very important to, to have to have a system. And I'm always giving the the um the metaphor of football teams, right? I don't know if you're a Barcelona or a Real Madrid fan. I'm personally, I personally like Barcelona and uh, I would say that Barcelona wins not because, not because of the Messi. Barcelona is not, that doesn't win because of a player. Barcelona wins because they play a system and not just that, but they have an entire ecosystem of players, right? And uh, an entire ecosystem of activities. How do they scout? How do they train? How, how do they, how do they coach? How do they recuperate players, right? Barcelona is able to turn out Messi's every, every, every 10 years. And that's, that's where, that's where Barcelona is, is very good at. And that's the difference between a team like Barcelona or Real Madrid or, 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 or Chelsea, if you want, and tier B teams. Yeah, so they have a system. So Barcelona is the Amazon of uh, football teams. If you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people will argue otherwise. Yeah. And I, I, I think I understand why you like Barcelona because Hadji used to play for Barcelona. Uh, yeah, and, and Popescu used to play there as well. Yeah. I think he was the captain at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I uh, I agree with you. And uh, from the anecdote, um, uh, we had the uh, future lawyer conference uh, last week, and um, uh, the the one of the keynote speakers, Andrew Aruda, meant we we talked about it the evening before, and he put it into his his uh, his, his presentation. Uh, we have an example from here in Norway. We had we had a coach called uh, Drillo um, uh, of the national team. Actually, the Norwegian national team is uh, sucks really. It's not a very good team, but under Drillo's uh, management, it re- performed really well during the the nineties, right? And we actually managed to qualify for two world championships, and uh, we beat Brazil in ninety eight. Um, and uh, and actually, one point in nineteen ninety three, Norway was ranked number two. <laughs> in the world, the no FIFA, way. really, that's uh, it's incredible. And uh, but we, you know, Norway didn't have the best team. Uh, but uh, Drillo is a professor in football, and he he studied the game and had a real good system. 
for so so it is all about the system and all the players knew exactly what to do and they were picked hand picked to do actually that job that's it's that's actually a very good uh, uh, <laughs> metaphor as well and um, like like your barcelona example that's exactly what needs to happen so system was always going to beat individual talent because otherwise with individual talent your system your your system output is just susceptible to um variables of any type. Once you start removing those variables, then it's going to be easier for you to manage and easier for you to improve. The job of a manager in general, and this is this is again something that a lot of people might not agree with me with, the job the job of a manager is is some is is to manage a system, not to manage people. People can manage by themselves. Right, everybody's grown up, and you hire them because they're good. Yeah, and if you need to manage them, they're probably the wrong, wrong people. Exactly. Right? So, if you need to manage people, you are either not the right manager, or they are not the right people. But your your management role should be to manage the system. Always ask yourself, how can I improve my system? How can I make my system better? Not how can I make you know Claudia better. <laughs> Well, you can think that too. Yeah, you can always think like, how can I coach my my people to become better employees? That's yeah. definitely something that you need to think of. But not a, how do I manage her activity? Yeah. Uh, funny anecdote. Sorry about that. I mentioned it on my on my, <laughs> my LinkedIn. It was this, you know, uh, the 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 narrative that you should always hire someone that's uh, smarter than you. Uh, and then uh, and then one uh, it was a cartoon, and one manager says that to his managers and uh, then one one guy says according to your theory the the, the, the our ceo is the dumbest person in this company <laughs> I, I thought that was very funny i think it's funny and that's, uh, that's actually very very true if you come to think of it yeah <laughs> analytically if you come to think of it that uh, that's, that's probably true yeah but uh, but i i agree with you and um, it's not about being uh, being the um, uh, the smartest it's about making room for people to thrive like so so you know what can you do how can you remove hurdles so people can actually do their job better yeah that's uh, i i totally agree with you sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um um but uh, a lot of a lot of big companies talk about innovation and uh, and we have the term innovation theater right uh, yeah. it's uh, uh, um, uh, a guy said that it's it's like lipstick you just put lipstick on the on the pig on the pig yeah exactly <laughs> Um, uh, is that you work a lot with the companies and, uh, do you, do you experience that a lot that your, their initiative actually are just innovation theater? Some, some of the initiatives and in some of the companies that I've seen are in, are in just for the theatrics, if you want. I'm in general very selective with the companies I, I, I try to work with because I'm very interested in, in working with the companies that want to do this for real. They want to move beyond post-it notes on the wall. Uh, there's actually a talk I give and it's called uh, Beyond, Innovation Beyond Post-it Notes and it's inspired actually by, by my colleague's uh, Tendai's article called exactly that, Innovation Beyond Post-it Notes. Um, I think I think um, talk, talking about innovation theater, a lot of people will ask, well, what is innovation theater, right? Innovation theater, in, in my opinion, is just doing something because uh, it looks good and not actually asking yourself, does that particular uh, activity that you're doing have an impact on the bottom line or have an impact on your customer base. And uh, if you allow me five minutes to talk about uh, a, a metaphor, I'm always giving the metaphor of um, the uh, cargo cult, 
right? Um, so apparently, there's this is a real story uh, in uh, in the 40s during during the war in the Pacific. Um, the, the the United States needed a resupply base for their planes and and ships in in the middle of nowhere, basically in the middle of the ocean, uh, to have ships come in, resupply, restock, and then and then either either fly back to the U.S. or fly fly to the to the theater of operations. And, um, and obviously those those islands were inhabited, and uh, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Army actually started employing those those people. Um, very very underdeveloped society, if you want. Um, they, they haven't seen technology or, or anything like that. So they are still hunting with bamboo sticks and, and whatnot. And, uh, they were, um, they were very amazed by, by the fact that they were seeing, they were seeing, uh, destroyed planes or destroyed, uh, or destroyed tanks coming in with the, with the evening plane, leaving the following morning. And then the following evening, there was a new tank coming. They didn't understand how things were made. They just understood the theatrics, if you want. So they, they saw, they saw airmen on, on, on landing strips doing, you know, the gestures on, like on the airport, right? When you guide planes. And what was very interesting is what happened after, after 45, after, after the end of the war in the Pacific. And, uh, what happened is the U.S. had no, absolutely no need for those islands any longer. And, uh, they, they totally pulled out of, of those islands. What's really interesting is even even today, right in 2018, there are still uh, there are still the Aboriginal population of that of that island marching to this abandoned landing strips every morning and every evening, lighting up fires and mimicking the gestures of the U.S. airmen because they think this is how medicine and food and and supplies come in. They really? Don't, oh. Yeah, they don't understand how medicine is made, hmm. like the advancements that the society needed to have in order to have medicine or food. They just understood the theatrics of it. They just understood the the gestures that the airmen were were making. So in in much the same way, if you if you apply the, this this theory to or or this concept, if you extrapolate and apply it to to corporate innovation, you're going to realize that a lot of people just create a very fun environment, like with 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 uh, with ping pong tables, bean bags, with bean bags, right, with post-it notes. Yeah. Why? Because they go to San Francisco, they go to they go to Tel Aviv, they go to Berlin. And the only things they see there was, oh, these these companies are very innovative, and I'm making a causal relationship in my head between between the degree of innovation that these people are able to produce, and the fact that they are wearing those sneakers and they have those beanbags and they use those post-it notes. But is it really that simple? Do you really think that people that companies are thinking like this? I think that the most most of the companies were were at least. Till this moment in time, there were a lot of companies that created those labs just to mimic the labs of 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 um, of the companies or the or the startup labs that they've seen in those in those major hubs. Some of some of them matured, but they matured, you know, baptism by fire. They matured after having invested in those in those failed initiatives for so long, and they realized, that, oh my god, well, actually, no no amount of beanbags is going to change my ROI. On the contrary, those beanbags cost, so they are going to be reflected this <laughs> as a cost in your accounting sheet. That's a very good, uh, good metaphor, and um, uh, yes, it's what uh, we would call in when I studied um, method in um, like uh, uh, statistics. Uh, the, the I don't know if it's in English, but it's a spurious effect, not the effect that you think you see. Yeah. Like if you, if you come home drunk one evening and you lie on the bed and you sleep with your clothes on and you wake up the next morning with a headache uh, you believe that uh, because I slept with my clothes on 
uh, I, I have a head headache. Yeah. Uh, you don't see the actual, you know, you make a mistake on the casual uh, causality of effects. That's actually that's actually mm. a big problem. You're you're actually confusing correlation with causality. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yes, exactly. So um, yeah, we're going to that. Uh, just one more thing: uh, um, innovation accounting. Accounting. That I I think that subject is really important. It's and I think is probably the most vital point in corporate innovation. It's uh, it's how you make sure your initiative doesn't get killed. <laughs> <laughs> actually right uh, so uh, so you have you have to have a system to to actually make uh, um to to measure uh, your projects or your initiatives yeah. uh, so they can still be funded even if they don't make a profit right um but you need to have some some certain metrics uh, and uh, uh, shortly because this will be the topic of your speech at uh, the shift but shortly what what is innovation accounting yeah, um, it's a very it's 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 a thing that I've been very passionate about for for quite some time now. So this is why we we have a chapter in the corporate startup, and uh, and not just that, but I'm currently doing a lot of research on the topic because I think that it's a science that need to be need to be evolved and developed further. Uh, I think innovation accounting is is uh, is exactly that measuring measuring your innovation efforts, uh, because the pro- the problem is that that core business metrics are not going to be able to measure in any good way uh, your uh, your innovation efforts, right? If you are going to apply core business metrics to your innovation efforts, you're always going to be disappointed by all of your innovation initiatives. And uh, whenever whenever I'm on stage and talk talk with folks about about this, I'm always giving the example of Usain Bolt. I have I have two images in the background, so I have I have Usain Bolt, um, you know. Setting up the new world record in in 100 meters in, uh, in the, I think it was the Rio Olympics, and then next to him it's, it's Usain Bolt being 12 and winning his first his first medal at the junior championship. You can't compare young Usain Bolt with with uh, with grown up Usain Bolt, and in the same way you can't you can't compare your mature business with your startup businesses, right? Your 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 investments that just launched yesterday they can't be compared in any way to your mature business. So you have to have. As you have an innovation accounting system for your mature businesses, you have to have an innovation accounting system for your new businesses. It's very challenging, though, because um, a lot of the things that that um, methodology, such as Lean Startup, which is probably very, very widely used in, uh, in, in innovation, right? It's probably one of the most used methodologies in innovation. That methodology, like Agile, like design thinking, they are cost avoidance methodologies. So they are not cost saving, but they're cost avoidance. And cost avoidance is, is actually more difficult to track than cost saving. Your, your standard innovation accounting, sorry, your standard accounting system, your standard accounting system is tracking the things that have happened, good or bad, positive or negative. They're going to be tracked in your system. When, well, what's going to happen if you employ a cost avoidance system? Your cost avoidance system is just preventing stuff from happening. Well, where does that show up on, on your Excel sheet, right? Where does that show up in, in your balance sheet of the end of the month? What do you mean by cost ava- uh, avoidance? System? So instead of saying, well, uh, hey, I have this great idea. Um, I'm going to run five interviews or 10 interviews or, or do five experiments and see what happens. So after those 10 ex- experiments, I realized that actually this would have been a big mistake if we were to found it. Right. So instead of saying, well, look, look at, look at the amount of money I brought you. I actually saved you that half a million dollars 
that would have otherwise been spent on nothing because there was actually no customer need. So, so I avoided us incurring that cost. I avoid us from, from making that bit, that big mistake by doing small mistakes along the way. And by small mistakes, I mean experiments that failed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's so design thinking is uh, cost avoidance. Design thinking is cost yeah. avoidance. Agile development is cost avoidance. Lean startup is, is cost avoidance. Uh, they're very well in the cost avoidance space. Yeah. So your innovation accounting system needs, needs to be able to, to track your improvements of your overall ecosystem considering the fact that there are that you are employing and you are deploying methodologies that prevent you from incurring cost and of course now we can go into the into the very nitty gritty details of that and we can discuss well what are some KPIs well it's very difficult to 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 set up KPIs because they're very very industry specific and very company specific so i think i think you should use trends you should decide you should decide upon which which KPIs you're going to track and how are those being influenced or impacted by by the deployment of, of certain methodologies or tools or or certain activities so the conversation now is just growing exponentially and it's not just growing uh in terms in terms of vertical growth but also horizontal growth yeah and i think this subject is as i said really really interesting and this is actually what we will focus on on uh, your uh, presentation at uh, the shift yeah I'm, your research on this and uh, my latest research probably in one year is going to look different but uh, at least for at least for for the conference in in november i think it's in in, in three weeks right something like yeah, that it's three weeks yeah in in three weeks um i'm going to focus on basically presenting what's my latest thinking on in in the space of innovation accounting that's really exciting um uh, at the uh, uh, at the end here um what are your favorite uh, books uh, that you could uh, actually recommend to our uh, listeners that's, uh, that's a very good question i um uh, I, I i tend to i tend to read a lot and i tend to read uh in a totally unstructured and chaotic way <laughs> which i'm not necessarily proud of um i think one of the one of the books i uh, i read recently and uh was uh was fairly interesting to me was uh was clarity first by Karen Martin um uh, she's coming from lean manufacturing so very very systems driven very manufacturing driven but it was a very good book for me to open my eyes towards the other side of the other side of lean right so go beyond go actually to the root cause of the the, the root the, the root source of lean which was which was actually in manufacturing um now I'm obviously reading a lot of stuff on on accounting, <laughs> uh, because uh, because of the research I'm I'm doing in the space. Uh, but uh, yeah, if I like have, accounting, accounting, like real accounting, like yeah, <laughs> real, real, real accounting, and of course, um, also accounting in in the space of lean manufacturing, right? So so lean manufacturing accounting because um, in in lean manufacturing, you know, going back to a bit of conversation of accounting, uh, lean manufacturing was promoting the idea of having. Uh, no stock, right? Uh, um, you know, development, development on demand or just in time development. Well, just in time development is going to take a toll on the number of assets you have on your books. Well, on one hand is good because your RONA is going to increase, right? Return on that asset. You have less assets. You have high returns. Definitely is increasing. But on the other hand, your company valuation is going to suffer because all of a sudden you no longer have those many assets on, on your books, right? So people will, will evaluate your company less than it actually is. Yeah. And that's not a good thing, is it? It's, uh, it's probably not good. Yeah, I, I don't know much about companies, but <laughs> yeah. So, and the last question: What do you believe that, but uh, that most people will actually disagree with you on? 
Yeah, it's a very it's a very good question. Um I already mentioned I already mentioned one thing during your talk, and I said that um, manager's role is to is to manage um, to manage the system, not the people. Um, I think I think that uh, you invalidated that because you agreed with me. Um, I think I think another one is, uh, and this is again this is something a lot of people in 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 core strategy hold very dear. Um, I, I think that strategy is just macro level problem solving. It's just they're not that special, actually. Uh, they're, they they see a problem or they want to solve a problem in the company. What they do, they create, they formulate a solution, and that particular solution is a strategy. Another thing that probably they disagree with me is the fact that their strategy is just a series of assumptions to be tested, mm-hmm. right? It, and if we are able to validate, um, you know, hypotheses at product team level. I think we should probably start doing that at strategy level. And I agree in, in <laughs> with you in that as well. Uh, so it's uh, not valid. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, uh, totally. And um, uh, the strategy is nothing special, actually. But it's uh, but the the problem is to actually what's the causality here? You know what what will True. what will make us reach this goal? Yeah. What are what are what are actually the activities or the tactics that will make us? And that's uh that's not actually tested most often uh, it's just an hypothesis uh, on especially in innovation uh, in normal execution you have more you know you, you could know more about what to do to to actually reach your goals right uh, but sure. but in like um, unknown territory it's much harder yeah. so 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 innovation strategy like you know it's very very hard yeah, uh, but again, we we have the tools. We just need to start start deploying those tools again. It's just assumptions that you have about the future. Well, let's just test those assumptions. I think that the, the future companies are going to be the ones that are able to to do uh, on a constant basis, on an institutional way. Um, you know, like um, testing those those go, going through strategy loops, right? Validating your strategy and then doubling down if it's proven right. Or moving away to something new if it's proven wrong or disproven, right? Treat treat innovate treat, treat treat your strategy as a series of assumptions and then just treat them like that with your tools. Every, everybody wants to do work at the innovative uh, company, right? Uh, at least. Um, and uh, so, what? Just very last question: How do you know if you are working at the right company or whether you should uh, leave your company? What should you look for? It's a very good question. First of all, I would personally ask ask people that that face that dilemma if they are happy with what they do, and if they think that that's a place for them to uh, thrive, succeed, or or follow their ambition. If uh, if that's not the case, if they don't feel listened, if they don't feel that that's a place where they can they can be their very best, they could be then it's probably not the right company for them. It's very difficult to say what the right company is because it's very, very cognitive dependent, right? It depends on, on who you are as a person and what's your, what's your ambition. Oh, okay. That, that answer was pretty, pretty broad. And, uh, sure. And, but uh, but let, let's say in terms of innovation, like do you, if I want to know, do I, am I really working on an innovative, innovative company that will, that will actually make uh, a, a, 
uh, footprint or or am I just working in even though the job is nice but I would like to know if this company actually is look look at look at their look at the portfolio look at what the company is is investing in are they investing only or solely in in the core ideas or do they do they branch out and invest and invest in in other areas other domains and not just invest but do they invest with with a clear vision in mind right is that is that particular thing that they've invested in actually a one-time investment or they've been consistently investing in growth outside of their core and then you know if that's the right company to work for and especially if you work in innovation department it's very interesting to see what what ideas are being backed are those this the same old things being being backed and being invested in or they have a higher risk appetite if you want right and uh well probably at one point my idea will be heard as well it's just a matter of finding the right one I think that was excellent advice, uh, Don Thomas, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk about uh, corporate innovation. And we're looking very much forward to seeing you on stage uh, at the shift. I'm looking forward to that as well. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. See you later. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>